Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? This will be part four. And in this message today, I would like to conclude this section of verses we have been looking at in the past four Lord's Day services. And we will look briefly with some content from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in which we have been looking at and... Actually, what I like to do in the remainder of the time, we, after I bring the content out and what the text is saying to us, and which we have looked at the past um, three Lord's Day and today's makes the fourth, but I'd like to give some application to this and to this all this wonderful theology in which we've been looking at these first five verses, and then we've got... Lord willing, we're going to travel on into the next section, which will be verse 6 through 13, uh, which speaks of uh, John the Baptist's witness to the true light, Jesus Christ. And first, we've got John the Apostle. John's the writer, of course, but now he brings John the Baptist into it, and that's what I like the direction we're going on into. But um, in this application... Um, of all the theology we have, I heard, I believe it was Brother Stephen Lawson that said this, as good as preaching is and content and the meaning of the text, he said, but if we don't really give it application, all that is going to be meaningless. We must have application. And I like to really drive that home to us today as we look at the application, and the application I'd like to look at would be, we touched on it briefly last Lord's Day, will be Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, which is very fitting to everything that is said here of who Jesus Christ is. Now, in saying that, let us first bow to our Lord in prayer and ask His blessing as we continue to worship Him and seek His face. And as we hear from heaven, from His holy word. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, how great You are. Help us to hallow Your name as we come to Your word. Help us, Lord, to give great reverence to Your word. For Your word is perfect, converts the soul It has the power to transform us. And as we come to you now, Father, to hear from your word, we thank you for it. We thank you for the power that it holds and the glory that it gives. It is sufficient. It's all we need. We don't need experiences. We don't need extra biblical revelations. Lord, all we have enough, we have everything in Your Word. So Father, we give honor to Your Word this morning. We pray, Lord, for each, we pray for each and every one of us this morning as we come to it that the true teacher, the Holy Spirit would help us. Lord, help me to rightly divide the Word of truth. Help us to Understand it by your Spirit. 
We thank You, Lord, for Your Word that gives us the true light, the true light of life, the truth. Thy Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, as the psalmist says. So we would ask, Lord, once again, as Jesus prayed for His disciples, may this be our prayer, sanctify us through Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. Thy Word is truth. And Lord, that entails a being like Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Blessed Son, our Savior, our Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Lord, we know that this can only happen by the Spirit of truth. So Lord, make this real to us. And may we be all be changed from faith to faith, to glory to glory, more into the likeness of Your dear Son. We would ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Several years back, I recall my dear grandmother on my mother's side at the hospital unconscious, and dying on her deathbed. She could not speak. Family was surrounding her, and as she was gasping for her final breath, my aunt on one side of the bed, and I was on the other, and there was, I had a few cousins there, and she had her son, and her other daughter, which was my mother, and this particular aunt, I'll leave unnamed for the moment, was directly next to her on the other side of the bed, and she was actually telling my grandmother, her mother, of course, she kept repeating to her, knowing that she could probably hear, even though she was unconscious, Mother, go toward the light. Mother, keep going toward the light. And honestly, I paused as, as I was praying. I was doing a lot of praying silently within myself, and I couldn't help but think as I was praying for my grandmother's poor soul, which she was very Catholic growing up, and I knew she really didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I was praying for God's mercy for her, especially her being unconscious and her days were about to be ended. And I was praying for a miracle. I could not help but think, dear Lord, I pray that she sees the true light from heaven and not the lights of hell. Because there's a light from hell too. And Satan can appear as an angel of light as we well know. So my grandmother, of course, passed on and into eternity within the next hour there. And, and I'll tell you, just like my father, as he died a horrible death of suicide, I personally, we do not know what happens in those last moments. We leave it in God's hands, don't we? But God knows all. <clears throat> and I, I'm not for sure if they came to true belief and true repentance, but I do rest in this, that the judge of all the earth will do right. We can rest in that. We're not the judge. God's the final judge. Yet the truth, let me say this, the clear truth that the Word of God gives to us is what's right to the answer in which I've already mentioned and what the name of this series is. Who is Jesus Christ? That is the most serious question that is put to anybody. 
Who is Jesus Christ? And don't you love the Word of God? The opening verses of John's glorious gospel introduces to us the answer to that. He gives us the answer. And and the answer is in the incarnation of Christ. The incarnation of God Himself, the second person of the Godhead. And John the Apostle wants and desires his readers to know with a full assurance, by the way, that Jesus is fully God, truly God, in human form. This is very serious. This is why he begins this, his gospel with this. And John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 3, <clears throat> John gives a record through the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ was God, the Father's agent, that was involved in creating everything that's matter, everything that's light, everything that exists in this entire universe, every human being, everything that exists in this entire universe is because of the eternal Word of God, the agent, Jesus Christ. All things, verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Then John reveals the very purpose and the mission, and this is, notice the direction he's going into here. He takes us to the purpose and the mission of God coming to earth as a human, made flesh, tabernacled among us, verse 4 through 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not overpower it or overcome it. Wonderful. Jesus Christ came into a very dark world, didn't He not? Very dark. To bring the light of God's life to dying men. And that, is, that has not changed. People are still dying in darkness, blinded by the God of this world and the depravity which has been passed down by Adam. The coming of Jesus Christ in the incarnation, the Messiah, is synonymous with the coming of light to remove the darkness, the scales of sin and captivity. <clears throat> Isaiah... Uh, I like the way Pastor MacArthur calls this the gospel of Isaiah. Isn't that wonderful? Because more of the gospel of Jesus Christ is given in that one uh, major uh, prophetic book than any other. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Isn't that wonderful? Just not a light, but a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. I want you to remember those terms there. The shadow of death. Is not this the shadow of death? Upon them a light has shined. And then in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep Darkness, the people, but, don't you love that transition? But the Lord will arise over you. The sovereignty of God there just 
but will intervene. Light just is piercing through the darkness. And it says, and his glory will be seen upon you. Verse 3. It's a wonderful prophecy. Listen to this. The Gentiles shall come to your light. And the kings to the brightness of your rising. What a wonderful fulfillment. And all this is fulfilled in one person. The glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Genesis, as we looked at last Lord's Day, the creation of light, and Brother Keith touched on that this morning on uh, Psalm 104. The creation of light was the very um, first thing that God Himself created. But God is light. So He creates light through the eternal Word of God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And as Genesis 1-3 says this, and I'm going to give this from Genesis, the creation uh, account. Genesis 1-3 says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be light. And there was light. Such power that God Himself who is light speaks the light into existence and there was light piercing through the darkness. Now, this is the process of generating life. I was thinking about this, and I said, really, the physical sun, if we did not have the physical sun, it would be the sun, we would have a cold, lifeless planet. No, nothing could live on this planet unless we had the sun, right? We need sun and, and, and rain, the sunshine and the rain for things to grow. And gives life. It's, that's through the physical sun, the S-U-N, but in the same way, the S-O-N gives spiritual life. So the process of generation and the process of regeneration here is given in, in contrast. Light was God's initial instrument in illuminating the dark and formless void in this world. This was the first instance in creation. Now God who is light, shining light in the darkness, piercing the darkness. So when John spoke of the incarnation of the Son of God becoming the Son of Man in his mission, he was actually echoing the creation account, right? And that's important. There's a reason why John has this language here by the Holy Spirit for us to understand by the Spirit of God what God is doing. The contrast is vivid. Light, darkness. There's, there's no way that you can mix the two. And we'll see in just a few minutes, God separates them, divides them. That's His order. Scripture tells us over and over again that God Himself is the very source of that life and life. Life and light. Life and light. Psalm 36, 9 says this, For with you is the fountain of life, and your light we see light. Notice that. For with you, God is that source, is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. And as I quoted this morning in Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Notice they are together. The light, the salvation. God is our light. God is our salvation. Then he says, whom shall I fear? That's the question. If God is my salvation and my light, we should fear no one, only God. 
The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then in the New Testament, the same apostle writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Almost the same language. It's phrased differently, but notice what he says in verse 5. This is the message. This is the message which we have heard from Him. Talking about Jesus Christ. We have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. So Jesus Christ is God's light sent down to earth to pierce through the darkness. It's almost as if He comes from the world of light into a dark world and enters into it to pierce through it. Now that light is God's life. And you can actually say it is physical and eternal. Both. John chapter 11 verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Death is not the end here. Our physical existence, our physical death. But there is a, we shall live. Shall a man continue to live in eternity? I believe Job put it in a question like that. I like what Ravenhill said. He put it this way. Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good. He came into the world to make dead men live. Amen? That is His purpose, folks. To make dead men live. John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. So the life within Jesus Christ is the very life of God. The Zoe life in which we looked at last Lord's Day. Chapter and verse is one of my favorites here, and I'm sure one of your favorites too, because Jesus makes a declaration that no one else ever made. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Still remains true today. With all the religions in this world, there's only one way to God the Father. And that's through Jesus Christ. Not two ways. Not a better way. Only one way. Jesus Christ. John 10, 9 and 10, Jesus says this, I am, another I am. I am the door. Notice what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Here's another I am. I am the door. And, if, and we'll go. And he says, if any, anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I will go in and out and find... And, and, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, only Jesus Christ is the true source of the knowledge of God and the one basis for spiritual security here. And the Bible tells us time and time again that Jesus Christ is that light of life. The light of life. And that's actually what John is saying here in verse 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That life is the light of the truth. 
And the message of Christ of salvation and eternal life with God is found in John 17, 3. One of my favorite verses. I don't think we can hear this enough, folks. And Jesus is praying, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I'm telling you, if, if, if I were to preach on that verse every week until Jesus comes, that would be sufficient. Because notice what he says. That's the purpose. Jesus, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 1 John 5, 11-13. Listen to this. 1 John 5, 11-13. You can turn there if you like. I think it ties right into what John is saying in his gospel. <clears throat> this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is, is in, in His Son. And this life is in His Son. Verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God and that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe. Notice that. Don't stop believing. You continue to believe. You abide. You go forward. In the name of the Son of God, he says. And then verse 20. And we know. Notice, don't you love that? Time and time again throughout 1 John, you'll see that word. We know, we know, we know, we know. We know that the Son of God has come. He's come. And has given us an understanding. That we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him. And who is true? And in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. And basically, that is the truth in which He is echoing. It almost sounds like what He wrote down, echoing from Jesus' prayer from John 17.3. Keep in mind also that many false teachers was amongst the church that were... Into Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed that all matter was evil. So in other words, they believed when God came in flesh, that was evil. Not so. Jesus was the perfect, sinless, innocent Son of the living God without sin. So Gnosticism taught all matter was evil. And so John had to combat that with the truth. So the, great, the greatest certainty of all is this. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which guarantees everything else about who Jesus Christ is. That is here in the text. Now, this is why John, by the Spirit of God, began his gospel with the truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's why he began that way. Jesus Christ being that true life, and that true light from heaven has come in His brilliance and His glory to shine His light in a dark world. In creation, God separated. Or you could say as the Scriptures, it depends on your translation, divided the light from the darkness. Look at Genesis 1-4. Genesis 1-4. 
And the account, God saw the light, that it was good. The light was good. And what did God do? And God divided the light from the darkness. You notice it doesn't mix it. It's, there is a separation. And that is God's perfect order, folks. And this, we have to keep this in mind because you see, you, you, in, in creation, in God's order, there is a division of light and darkness. And we make no mistake about that. But why is it in the church that people want to somehow mix light and darkness? That is not God's order. We're going to look at that in a minute. The New Testament, light and darkness are very clear. They're common symbols of good and evil. Now we're going to look at this, and now we're going to look at it from the Scriptures. It's clear that light in John 1.5 represents life and ultimately eternal life with God in His heavenly kingdom. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is darkness. Light is light. And also, darkness can be the absence of God. Just look on the cross. In three hours, Jesus, it would, the whole earth became dark. God did that on purpose. God did that instinctively. He did that by miracle. It was a miracle, but God made it known to the world. Jesus Christ, His Son, went right into that darkness. He took the darkness and the absence of God for three hours, the wrath of God... Upon himself, upon himself so that we may come to the light and to know God who is light. Isn't it amazing? The love that took Jesus through that? We will never understand that, even in heaven. But what our, what our blessed Savior went through on that cross. Now, darkness, light, it represents good, and, it, and, and which is light represents, and, and darkness represents evil, sin, unbelief in this fallen world, which all leads to eternal death. You notice that? You see, you see, I don't have time to go through the scriptures, but it speaks about darkness, utter darkness. Now, I heard Pastor MacArthur touch on this. He said, it doesn't mean that hell doesn't have lights, it does. But we're talking about a separation from God. And there's one side that's a separation from God, and, and there's another side of it that God's there, okay? But whatever the case, there is eternal darkness forever and ever. It's very serious, isn't it? Because we have a world today that's perishing in eternal darkness without God. Job 10.22, don't you love the book of Job? Listen to this. I'm going to give you some great verses here. Job 22 says, A land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order. And is not this the world we live in? A land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like darkness. That comes from the book of Job. 
10.22. This verse basically describes to us how dark, as Jesus said, that darkness can be. We actually don't know how dark that darkness is, in a sense. Until God shows us, even through the light of the truth, how dark our own hearts were. We'll see that in a minute. So, it takes the Spirit of God, the Spirit of light, the Spirit of truth to show us this. In the land of the darkness and the shadow of death. What does it make you think of? Psalm 23. Verse 4, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. There's a promise we can take with us. To death. Because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's what comforts us, is God's presence, God's rod, God's staff. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He loves us with that staff. He disciplines us. And He loves us. And He secures us. In a dark and evil world threatening, David says, He will fear no evil as he walks through it. That, we can claim that ourselves. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with us. Emmanuel, Jesus, for the Lord is our light and our salvation. Jesus declares that those who believe and trust in the light become sons and daughters of light. John 12, 36. I quoted it last week and we'll quote it again. While you have the light, Jesus says, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Notice that. He who follows me, follows me, shall have the light of life. The great miracle of salvation is in the power of the gospel. And Jesus told this to the Apostle Paul as he was given, giving and appointed as Apostle to the Gentiles to give the gospel to kings and to the Gentiles in Acts 26, 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. This is Jesus speaking. To turn them. That's repentance. To turn them. To turn them. This is what this world needs. To turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive. Here's the benefits. The forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that great benefits? That's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Now let me give you application. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And believe me, this is some strong application. We're going to jump to some other verses in the process here, but I believe everything the Apostle Paul says in chapter 5 here, in verse 8 through 14, is marvelous. Now, I'm going to tell you, as I was studying this, I couldn't help but 
think about MacArthur's message. He, he revisited this not long ago and re-preached it, and he used the same outline, and I can see why. It's a beautiful outline. And I'm going to give you his outline on this, and I'm going to preach it in my words and, and verses in which God gave me in the process of this, but this section speaks of how to walk in light. This is practical application for each and every one of us in our daily walk with Jesus Christ in a home and abroad and on our job and whatever we do in this world as we walk and talk with the Lord as we're born again children of God. This is our practical application of how to walk in light. And he gives a wonderful Wonderful outline, and I'm giving credits to Pastor John MacArthur on this. Verse 8, first of all, says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, first of all, I'm going to bring this out. Verse 8 gives us the contrast. That's what we're looking at here, the contrast. The seas here. Contrast. Paul the Apostle here is contrast what every believer's life was like before salvation, before he knew Christ, before salvation, with what God intends it to be like after salvation. In doing so, he simply states what should be obvious. And what is that? A person who has been saved from sin should... Through, should be done with sin. He should be through with sin. In other words, he's repented of it. Now, it doesn't mean our repentance is perfect, folks, because you and I know our walk with the Lord is not perfect, right? Can you raise a hand or two hands? I'm right there. But what counts is, it's not your past experiences, but what is your... It's not the perfection, it's the direction of your life. It's your desire. So a person who has been saved from sin should be through with sin as he's lived and live as a redeemed child of God and he's sanctified in Jesus. And to illustrate that point, the Apostle Paul uses common biblical figures as we've seen in John 1, in chapter 1, of darkness and light. Darkness and light. The Apostle Paul goes there. This is what he wrote to the church of Ephesus. Darkness and light. Verse 8 tells us what we were and what we are. What we were, first of all, we were once darkness. The verb form of were reveals two important realities here. First of all, it, it speaks about the past tense indicates the condition that no longer exists. That we are redeemed. You were darkness. And that truth also that is reinforced by our former life. Now, notice what he says. For you were, past tense, once darkness. You were once darkness. Notice that Paul doesn't say you were once in darkness. And, and that would not be a wrong statement, would it? But the Holy Spirit told him you were once darkness. Told him to write it just like that. And there's a reason why. 
It emphasizes you were once darkness that as we were once darkness, we were part of the condition of darkness in this world. That, that's, that is tremendous, isn't it? It's almost like a difference. Yeah, we were in darkness, but it's more than just in darkness. You are the darkness or were the darkness. You see, dead and trespasses of sins, no light whatsoever. And people think they have light, but they don't have light. Just like my dear poor aunt was talking about, Mama, go toward the light, go toward the light. Look, she, she didn't even have a clue what the light was. The light is Jesus Christ. The person of Christ. Spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness. Under the control of who? The power of darkness. The God of this world. That's evident, isn't it? People don't realize that their father is the devil. But that's who they are really serving. Their father is of the devil. The God of this age. They are literally in the servants of sin, but they're servant to the God of this age, the power of darkness. That's very evident, what Scripture says. And Jesus said this to Nicodemus in John 3, 19, 21, 19 and 21, through 21. This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. Who's, who's the light now? Jesus Christ. He refers to Himself. And men love darkness. That, now Jesus is making a strong statement here to Nicodemus. Men love darkness rather than light because he tells the reason. Their deeds were evil. They loved the evil. They loved the darkness. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, and that they have been wrought or done in God. Manifest, exposed. This is what the light does. And have you noticed when you give the gospel in love, people do not like it because they love the darkness rather than the light. They do not want to let go of their pet sins that they love. Their idols. Their self. Amen. The darkness. Notice a lot of sinning goes on in darkness. More, I mean, it's in the daylight now. It's no shame. But more, more sinning is done in darkness. People feel secure in their darkness and hidden. They're hidden. But God sees them. God sees them. Why do you think the fool has said in their heart, there's no God? They don't want no God. They don't want no judgment. They want to love their sin. And as far as they're concerned, then at the last breath, they want to somehow believe in the heaven. Does it work that way? This love, I'm telling you, this, what happens here from darkness to light, this happens when men is converted to Jesus Christ and true repentance comes and God grants them repentance and they use that repentance as an instrument to turn from that darkness. For Then Paul says, for you were once darkness. Don't you love that? You and I, children of God, he's talking to God's children. You were once darkness. Not just in darkness, you were darkness. You were evil, you were in darkness. 
That's past tense. Don't you love that? But now, what does it say? You are light in the Lord. In the Lord. I'm so thankful He put that. And that's the Spirit of God. In the Lord. No one else. Who's our light? The Lord. Hey, I hear an echo. He's he's listening. Second verb in verse 8. Not only were, but are. Are also tells us two important things. What does it tell us? The present tense indicates our new spiritual condition and in contrast to what we were before trusting Jesus Christ. So in other words, notice, now you are light in the Lord. Colossians 1.13 Jesus Christ has delivered us from the domain of what? Darkness. And has transferred us or translated us us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, and He has called us in 1 Peter 2.9 out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, there's no question about it, about the contrast here, that when we are born again children of God, when God's people, they are children of light. They come out of darkness. They were once darkness. Now they are light. You cannot mix the two. We will see that in a minute. Again, like the were, the verb are, is not modified here. Scripture sometimes speaks of believers being in darkness, in, like I said, or in light, which is true, but here it's not modified. It basically says here, you, are, you were darkness and you are light. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, you are Circle that. You are what? The light of the world. You are the light of the world. We must keep that in mind. and Don't take that for granted. When we go out into that world, you are the only Bible that this wicked world will ever read. You and I are the only beacon light that will ever shine in their dark world. And it's all because of Jesus. We share His light because He's the light of the world, right? Jesus said it in John 8, 12 to the people. I am the light of the world. Now Paul, through verse 9 and 10, tells us how we should walk. He gives us the contrast. Walk as children of light, right? Walk. That's our daily walk. That's our daily living. I don't know about you, all this theology is wonderful and I I need this theology, I need sound theology, but if I don't take it with me in my everyday personal life, what good is it? I need it in my life. Verse 8, you were, you for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, as he has already given us the contrast, now he gives the characteristics. The characteristics. What are the characteristics? Verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. Here they are. Three supreme fruits. The, the, The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, 
righteousness, and truth. Now let us not forget those three great fruits. Now, one, one translation says the fruit of the Spirit. But in more that is more accurate to the original Greek translation, it should say the fruit of light. The fruit of light. What's the old King James say, Brother Keith? Uh, this just says fruit of the Spirit. Okay. But the original, I, w- I was wondering about that. The original is the fruit of light. The fruit of light. Now, that is goodness, righteousness, and truth. What is the fruit? Again, this is the fruit. That is the obedience. That is what follows us, right? Three su- supreme characteristics. You could take this to our everyday walk, folks. And this is convicting. I'm telling you, this convicts me because I think about all goodness, all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Let's look at that. I like what Pastor MacArthur says here. I I couldn't help but skip this. I couldn't skip this over. In his commentary, he says, Like agape, love, goodness finds its fullest and highest expression in that which is willingly and sacrificially done for others. Always seek after that which is good for one another and um, for all men. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 He goes on to say, and in his next letter to that church, the apostle prays that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. This goodness that is a fruit of light is also a fruit of the Spirit. End quote. These are the characteristics. Are these not and were not these the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what what makes it so convicting because we so fall short of Christ-likeness. We desire it, don't we? But this is what we need. This is what the church needs. This is what I need. This is what you need. We need to take Christ-likeness to our job, to our home, to the lost in this dark world. This is our walk. So the first is all goodness. All goodness. The second one is the second result or fruit of our walk is the children of light is righteousness. Righteousness. What is that? Well, righteousness is first... Does, I would say that would have to do with, first of all, our personal relationship with God. I, I believe it begins there. Romans 4, 5 says, To the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is accounted or reckoned, another translation says reckoned, as righteousness, same thing. It's accounted, it's put in our account. The righteousness of Christ, think of that. His perfect righteousness. This is the gospel, folks. This is the only thing that will get us into heaven. (coughs) Excuse me. His perfect righteousness. 
But, let me say this. Righteousness also has to do with how we live. His righteousness is put into our account. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see our righteousness. Our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. It's not going to do. I don't care how morally upright people think. The righteousness of God and man's righteousness are two different things. Completely. But the righteousness also has to do with how we live, how we live, how we live. Because we know Jesus Christ is our righteousness, so He is the righteous one and He gives us His righteousness. But here in the text, Paul's talking about how to live right. How to live right. John says in First uh, John 2, 29, We also know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God, is born of Him. Righteousness, goodness, all goodness, righteousness, third. The third fruit is what? Truth. Truth. Folks, we're all about truth. Truth in the Word of God. Truth in Jesus Christ. Truth has to do with our honesty, reliability, our trustworthiness, and, and, and most importantly, I would say, integrity. Our integrity. The contrast there. And, and by the way, the contrast of these are hypocrisy and deception and falsehood, which are the ways of the old life in darkness. So, when we see this, therefore, the goodness pertains to our relationship with others, righteousness, our relationship with God and our truth, our personal integrity. To sum it up. Now, those three things are the results, the fruit of light. That's what they consist. Verse 8, the contrast. Verse 9 and 10, the characteristics. Now in verse 11a, there's a command. <clears throat> Look at verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Sandwich that in between verse 9 and 11. Now he's going to tell us what is acceptable to the Lord. And then he says this, because God abhors evil, folks, right? In verse 11 he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's the command. It's a strong command. The NASB says it like this, and do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Do not participate in, may also be translated, don't to become a partaker together with these evil, wicked people in darkness. We are not to participate. We are not to have fellowship with them. So the child of God is a child of light. You can't mix darkness and light should not become involved in evil and by, even by association. <clears throat> Go with me very quickly to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at this. It ties right into what Paul's saying here. This is so... Inc- this is a whole sermon, folks. And I'm telling you, this is so important, but I'm just going to touch on it. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 5. 
And by the way, he's, he, Paul begins by speaking to the church at Corinth about immorality, how it defiles the church. And he talks about purging out the old leaven. To, to, to get the old leaven out, the little leaven leavens the whole lump. And, and he said that you may be a new lump. And he talks about what he's talking about. He's talking about like Christ is our Passover, is sacrifice for us. But and he's referring to sin within the church like, In verse 7, he says, since you are truly unleavened, like leaven. Leaven is like sin. Notice what he says in verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. That's straight up. But he clears something up here. You know, first of all, you think, now what is he talking about? Because he's talking about people that are saying they're Christians within the church. He's not talking about the MR in the world. How, how could they be reached? And verse 10 says this, Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexual immoral people of this world. The world is, you know, people was talking about what happened at the Grammy Awards, about these demon worshipers and stuff. And I, I, I thought, what is wrong with these people? The world's being the world. What bothers me is when you see this in the church. They're in darkness. They are darkness. And you got Christians, quote unquote Christians, posting this like they're appalled about it. I said, good night. They're in darkness. That they acted the way they they're acting natural. The what they are. But Paul's talking about, I didn't mean with the sexual immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or the startners or the idolaters, since then he says this, since then you would need to go out into the world. Our purpose is to reach that they're the mission field, right? But what he refers to is this in verse 11. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler. A reviler can mean someone that blasphemes their mother and father. A drunkard, or even a drunkard, or an exhortner, a sort, a stortner, I'm sorry, not even to eat with such a person. We don't have to have fellowship nor sit down at a table and eat with them. Why? You can't mix darkness and light. Why? Why? Because God's name is upon them. And if they're living in darkness, they're mocking God. And that's serious. Folks, it was so serious that God struck down Ananias and Sapphira about it. We need to hear this. We need these kind of warnings. It would purge the church, wouldn't it? And Jesus would have a clean church. Verse 12, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are on the inside? But those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. What he's basically saying is you deal with the ones within the church. That's your business. God judges the ones in the world. Go with me one more. <clears throat> a, lot, a lot here. Look at, jump to 2 Corinthians. I've got to hurry up here because my time is just almost gone. Uh, verse 11. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6. O Corinthians, we have spoken open to you. Uh, Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. Listen to that. You also be open. And then he says this. Gives a strong language of rebuke. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? There's a separation here. For you are the temple of the living God as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And I love He continues, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now we have the contrast, the characteristics, the command. That's the command. Last we see the commission. The commission. The commission. Verse 11b through 13 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Back to that. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, reprove them, People say, well, pastor, that's going to bring on persecution. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it will. But so be it. Amen. It's a blessing. And any wonder why there's hardly any persecution in the American churches? (laughs) Amen. They look just like the world. They're part of the world. I I, I pass some of these churches and I tell you what, you, you think you're going to a theater, folks, of the world. Sad. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Whatever makes manifest is light. So the Christian's responsibility goes even further than not participating, right? We are to expose them. We are to tell them that this is wrong. This is evil. This is wicked. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 27, listen to Jesus. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Mark 4.22, again Jesus says, For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. It's going to be brought out. One way or another, God will expose it. It's better to expose it now and for people to repent of it and come clean with God. Verse 12, Paul says, For it's shameful or disgraceful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You know, it's sad to say in the churches now, and and MacArthur, I heard MacArthur and uh, Phil Johnson talking about the X-rated church. And this character, Driscoll, Mark Driscoll, I'm glad he's out of the ministry because he needs to be out of the ministry. He was up speaking foul 
sexually immoral content in the name of God. And he was saying things, folks, that should be shameful. Paul says, don't even speak of it. He took things in the Scriptures that were holy and twisted it to be unholy. God was being mocked. God would not be mocked. I'm glad he's gone. He needs to repent. Doesn't mean we don't care about the man's soul, but he needs, he's, as far as I'm concerned, he's disqualified himself. Mocking God. Well, I want you to think about this. Paul says it's shameful and disgraceful. One example, some diseases, chemicals, nuclear products. <clears throat> I got this from MacArthur, this example are so extremely deadly that even the most highly trained and best protected technicians and scientists who work with them are in constant danger of being exposed. No sensible person would work around such things carelessly or haphazardly. Likewise, in the same way, some things are so spiritually disgraceful and shameful, dangerous, this is MacArthur here, that they should be sealed off not only from direct contact, but even from conversation, end quote. Amen? <clears throat> Let me close. He closes it. We got a contrast. We got a characteristic. We got a command. We got a commission. The last is the call. The call, verse 14. He says, Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. So what is Paul doing? He's given a gospel verse from Isaiah. Chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Christ will give you light. He's given the gospel. And does not this need to be done today in churches? Give the gospel call. Arise, shine. Arise from the dead. This is a summons to repentance. Christ will shine on you. Christ is that light. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen? Praise God. The story is told of a great fire in Edinburgh, Scotland, in which people hurried to exit the building through a passage that led to the street. I want you to listen to this. This is a true story. They were almost safe when a rush of smoke met them and blowing into the passage from the outside and instead of running through the smoke, They entered a door into a room that seemed safe. But soon all the oxygen was exhausted and they all suffered and died. If only they had seen the light, they might have lived to be saved. Tomorrow to the story. Jesus Christ is that light in in a dark world. We need to give the light of the glorious gospel and the face... Jesus Christ. Proverbs 4.18 sums it up. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Gracious Bonner said this, I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am, the, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me. They, they mourn, thy morn shall rise and all thy day be bright. I looked unto Jesus and I found in Him my star, my sun. And in that light of life, I'll walk 
till traveling days are done. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You, Lord Jesus, for You being the light of the world, coming into a dark, dark world. So dark. We don't know what that darkness is until the light shines upon it. And we need the light of the truth and we're so thankful for Thy truth that gives us light, that sanctifies us to be more like Your like you, Father, like your dear Son, that has shown in our hearts by the Spirit in which you've given and through your Word. May the light of your glorious Gospel shine through us to others in a perishing world. And we ask this for the praise and the glory of your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.